Well, Acts chapter number one is where we're going to start today, and I want you to pay careful attention. These are three verses that most people just read right quick and move right on through the book of Acts. We like to start the book of Acts in verse number eight. That's where most people like to start the book of Acts. But that's not where the book of Acts starts. I want you to look at what verse number one says. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many unfallible truths, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And today I want to talk to you about the continuing power of the Christian church, the continuing power of the Christian church. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I thank you for the people of God who's come today. I know they didn't come, God, just to waste their time. They come to hear from you, and I pray that, God, that will happen here today. Help that nobody will leave here um, without feeling, without being touched of God, without God having the sense that they have been in your presence and God, maybe there's someone who hasn't gotten in on what you're doing. God, help them to step into the circle of God's power today and let God ha happen in their lives what has happened in so many and even in my own this week. I thank you for it. So God, touch every heart, touch every mind, touch every life. Don't let anyone escape the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit of God today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. The book of Acts is about the power of God in his people. That's a simple phrase that the book of Acts is about, the power of God in his people. It's the continuing power of God through the church. That power hasn't stopped. It's not done. We're not through. It continues today. Y'all with me? So the book of Acts, if we read it, is an exciting book. It's an it's a action-oriented book. It is a progressive book. And my desire is that this book will help our church become a powerhouse for God. Not individuals a powerhouse from God, but the church a powerhouse for God. That's what it's supposed to do. I pray that the Great Commission will so be indelibly imprinted on our hearts that we will be convinced that we can do it just like Jesus said we could. You say, Here, give me a simple outline of the book of Acts. Here it is. Here's a simple outline of the whole 28 chapters of the book of Acts. The Savior went up, the Spirit came down, the saints went out, and the sinners came in. That's it right there. Those four things will outline the book of Acts. Now, I want you to notice number one with me today. The person 
who wrote in verse 1 and 2. Now, we know that he is Luke. We know that because he lets us know that he had written an earlier, he had written an earlier truth or gospel. And so, he is Luke, and we are confident of that. He began traveling with Paul in Acts 16, verse number 10 through 13. He says, how do you know that? Because up to that point, Luke is telling us about what has happened, what has happened, what has happened. He was talking about them and they. But here in Acts 16, 10, he says, we. So he joins in the crowd. He, he got, maybe he got saved. Maybe he just came out of the dying group of people who was not interested anymore. Or maybe he had been tagging along all along. But anyway, he stepped into the amazing power of God. And so it switches to first person plural here rather than first person before. So notice the purpose that he wrote this book. The title of the book, if you have a King James, King James version of the Bible, it calls it the Acts of the Apostles. It really ought to be called, that, that, that's not, God didn't put that in there, by the way. The, that was done in 1611. You do know that we had a Bible before uh, Acts 1611. You do know that. The King James version is not what the Apostle Paul preached out of. Y'all don't know that? Okay. All right, I just want you to know, King James Version is my preference, my choice. I think everybody ought to use it, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to fall out with you. If you don't, I'll just tell you you're wrong, okay? So let's use that. But, uh, but we know this. The Acts of the Apostles does not rightly define the book of Acts. It wasn't the Acts of the Apostles. It was the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. That's what the book of Acts is all about. The acts of the Spirit of God in his power. That's what it is. Not the apostles. They had no power apart from the Holy Ghost. Just like you don't and I don't. So look at the purpose. He, 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 he wrote this. The title, but it follows mainly two men. The book of Acts will follow starting with the apostle Paul and then it will turn and change and it will pick up with the apostle Peter. Uh, these two men, some people say, uh, they, they contradicted each other because Peter cried repent and Paul cried believe. But both of them preached Jesus Christ is alive. And the one who preached repent, he preached believe too. And the one who preached believe, he preached repentance too. There is no contradiction in that because if you say you believe, that means you've repented. You're not a believer in Jesus Christ if you hadn't repented of your sin. What you are is you know about Christ, you've heard about Christ, you've talked about Christ, but you've never given yourself to Christ. There's a big difference in that. So there's a purpose. So not only did Peter cry repent and Paul cry believe, but Peter preached to the Jews and Paul to the Gentiles, but both of them preached Christ is alive. Christ is alive. So Luke gives us the autobiography of the church from birth of the church to its young adult stage in the church. It's the acts of the risen Lord, the acts of spirit-filled men as he records the continued work that the resurrected Jesus had started through his disciples. 
Now, this book reveals the activity and action of the body of Christ. It's these continuing acts of the apostles, not Christ, but the apostles, so that it becomes a body of work, not just the person of work. Jesus wants to involve a body called the church, a family Call the church. Yes, he's the head. He'll always be the head. Anything we have down here that has the name of Jesus on it, he's the head. In fact, anything that don't, <laughs> he's the head. And so, he, he wants this book to be a commentary. I'm going to show you something. He wants the book of Acts to be a commentary on John 14, 12. And most of us don't even believe that. I want you to look to John 14, 12. Most of us... Don't believe this passage. Y'all there? Look at your neighbor and say, let me look on, you, look on with you because I'll never find it. All right, look at verse number 12. Now, this is Jesus talking. If you've got a red letter Bible, it'll be in red letters, right? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the work that I do, shall he do also. That's what Jesus said. Have you thought about the works that Jesus did? The works that I do, you do also. The continuing work of the Holy Spirit power in the name of Jesus. Look, he's not done. He said, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. Why did he say that? Because later on, he lets us know when he goes to the Father, unless he does go to the Father, the comforter of the Holy Spirit will not come to us. And if the comforter of the Holy Spirit doesn't come to us, we're nothing but mere flesh. But when the comforter, the Holy Ghost, comes to us and we allow him to fill us, God said, you can do greater things than I ever did in three years. And now for 2,000 years and more, the church has been continuing the work that Jesus Christ started. And so when you start saying, well, you know, we can't do this thing, we can't do this today. You can do anything Jesus did today. I'm telling you. Now, he always did the will of the Father. Don't just not name it, claim it stuff. He always did the will of the Father, and you can always do the will of the Father. I don't care what it is in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's teaching us here. The person who wrote it was Theophilus. Theophilus. Now, Theophilus is, um, he, he calls it a former treatise. We know that former treatise to be the Gospel of Luke. We know it because it's written different than most of the other writings. Most of the other writings are written in a colloquial type Greek, colloquial type language. In other words, the, 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 if Peter had been preaching today, he would say, and Jesus said it ain't right to do that. That's what he'd say. But, but not Luke. Luke's not going to say ain't. You're going to say ain't. That's all right. Because Peter would have said, I ain't too. Peter would have said, I'm going to do that today. You're not going to say that. I say, you're not going to say Luke say that. He, he's going to say, I'm going to do that today. You see, he, he preached, he, he taught and wrote in an eloquent 
way, a more elaborate way. And so it's no doubt he was a Roman official. He had great power in his pen. Do you see that? The person he wrote to, Theophilus. Theophilus, loved of God, that's what the word means, or lover of God. In other words, when he wrote to Theophilus, he wrote to all of us, are you a lover of God today? Hey, I'm talking to you. Are you a lover of God today? Hey, he wrote this to us. He wrote this to us. Lovers of God. So Luke starts where Jesus began and now Luke takes up where Jesus left off and he shows Theophilus his power in his people. So uh, you see an unremembered teaching. That's the first thing you'll notice here, an unremembered teaching. And notice that he, the period he wrote was AD 63, somewhere in that neighborhood. And that covers approximately 33 years of history. After Jesus, the same length of time that Jesus lived, the 33 years after that, Luke wrote to Theophilus. Now, getting this? So, we have recorded 30 years after the resurrection in Acts that what can be accomplished in the generation of the Christian church and has not ever been accomplished since. The early church did it the way they knew God told the apostles to tell them how to do it, but somehow we've thrown this out and we've thrown that out and we've pulled that in and we pull this in and the next thing you know, the church don't even look like the book of Acts. Don't you notice the period to which he wrote? 33 years since the resurrection of Jesus. You see, see every granddaddy and every daddy and mama could tell their kids about that. Oh, let me tell you, I just a little boy, but I remember, I, I, I got to see him. I, he was buried. He was dead. They wrapped him up. We thought he was gone, but three days later, up from the grave, he arose. Oh, I saw him, son. Don't you ever let anybody tell you he's not alive. I saw him. And so he's a period to which he wrote was a wonderful period. We're still doing that today, though, aren't we? Still telling our boys and girls, still telling our men and women, still telling lost people Jesus is alive. And so the key word for the church was witness. They started in Jerusalem. They're still witnessing 33 years later in Rome. Nothing's changed yet. Today we're still witnessing, but we are changing in our witness we are watering down our witness we have we're less we're more timid about our witness but the church today is to be as bold in our witness as they was in the book of acts so may this book help us to see what our generation can do all you say ours is the last generation we can't do anything folks i think the last generation can do more than any generation ever lived Listen, folks, there's some lost folks today scared to death what's going to happen tomorrow. They don't know nothing about God. They don't even believe in God, but they're scared to death about what's happening. There's an atmosphere going around this world that says something's about to happen. It's scary. I don't know what to do. I don't know what it is, but I need something, a great chance for you to tell them about Jesus. Ah, oh, we can get it done today. Uh, folks call me. 
you on the radio, uh, on the phone and talk about our radio broadcast all the time. So I can't believe you're saying some of the things you're saying. I said, listen, we got we to gotta start doing it the way they did it in the book of Acts. And so the, the period to which he wrote was very important because you remember in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, the Bible said they turned the world upside down. Right now, I think we need to turn it right side up, but they turn it upside down. And so we can accomplish a lot. So that's, this, is, this um, recurring message in Acts is that we're to continue to be witness. David Hume, a Scottish philosopher and skeptic, he was going to hear George Whitfield preach. George Whitfield preached very hard. He preached very long. Some of you wouldn't have made it. You'd passed out. You'd went home. You said, I got to work tomorrow. But George Whitfield, in those days, people came and stayed for hours to hear, hear a man of God preach. And George Whitfield was preaching. And there in the crowd stood an atheist for the whole time, standing atheist. Man stood beside him and said, Listen, I thought you didn't believe in God. I thought you didn't believe the gospel. I thought you didn't believe in this power of God. He said, I don't, but he does. Well, that's what I want, right? So I may not believe it. But they do. We may not believe it, but Hillcrest does. We not believe it, but that Sunday school class does. We not believe it, but that choir does. Some of the choir didn't believe it. They didn't even show up today. They don't believe it. They just showed up. See, when you show up in the power of God, God's going to show out in you. He will. So, we are about as effervescent as a stale glass of ginger ale. We've lost our plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Amen? Would y'all agree? So this book that Luke writes is so important in the period he wrote it because now we look back there to 2,000 years later and number one, what, what Luke wrote fills us with hope. When we realize what a wonderful Lord we have, what a mighty person the Holy Spirit is and what a powerful gospel has been trusted to us, it gives us hope. But secondly, it fills us with shame as it drives us to our knees with the prayer of, do it again, Lord, do it again. There's a person he wrote that's unremembered teaching. And then there's the person who wrote. No doubt this writer was a noted, vibrant, faithful witness for Christ, a soul winner. I don't think Luke would have written about it had he not been doing it. Because later on in the book, we find out where he joins in the crowd. He's with Paul to the very end, right? Stays with him to the very end. And so, we can see some things about him that we really know. And number one, we see it in his presentation here. He was a Greek and the only Gentile Bible writer in the Bible. His writing reveals that culture I was talking about, that excellent literary skills that the Greek language gave us. The Greek language was that eloquent literary language. And so we know that even though Peter wouldn't say it this way, and probably the Apostle Paul wouldn't even say it this way, and certainly none of us would say it this way, he speaks in that cultured, refined language because he was writing to Theophilus, who was 
and who could understand it. First of all, we see something about him in his, that this book is orderly. Look, he, he said, began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. That means after he was uh, uh, taken up and ascended into heaven, and then to whom also after he showed himself alive after his passion by many unfallible proofs, being seen to them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In other words, he said, I'm writing to you just like it happened. That's why a preacher always ought to have some order in his sermon. You, you can preach hard and you can be bold and still have order. It don't need to be something chaotic. It's just whatever pops out of your head or off your head or if there's anything in your head. It doesn't matter. It's to be orderly. You Sunday school teachers, you're to teach an orderly class where, you, where it makes sense, where it's put together. And that's what he does here. He puts it together. But not only that, he does it boldly. Look in verse, thir- at verse 1. He, he said, I most surely, most surely believed in Luke 1. He, he was sure. He was bold. He was confident. This was not some tiptoe through the tul- tulips message. He was confident. Thirdly, it was accurate because in verse number 3, you can sure tell that this was an accurate presentation of what had happened in the life of Christ to when he was crucified, when he was buried, when he rose again, and when he ascended to heaven, we really know he was confident in that. And he was accurate in that, according to verse number three. He, was, had, he didn't put a legalistic twist on it. He didn't put some kind of liberal bias on it. He just told it like it was. And also it was precisely told. That's why it's lengthy. He didn't leave much out. All these chapters has, has a purpose. He doesn't throw in this amount of chapters in our Bible because it wasn't written like we see pastors. It was just it just it was a continuation. He did it convincingly. He, he did it, basically, what he had in his hands when Theophilus got this letter. Think about it now. It's 28 chapters to us in a bound book with thin pages. To them, it was 28 chapters, but not like our chapters, written with a quill on rolled up parchment. And so they'd have to Unroll it. Can you imagine me getting up here this morning and saying, I need six teenagers. You get over there. We're going to roll out today's text. And they start over there and they start unrolling it. And we stop about right here. And 99% of you are going to leave right then. I ain't staying that long. But this book doesn't leave anything out. He, he was convinced of it. 25-foot long scroll it's basically a 25-foot-long track that he gives to this man to be saved. And we know also by his occupation, he was a doctor. Colossians 4.14 says, Luke, the beloved physician. This doctor was beloved even by the Jews. Now, that didn't happen a lot, you know. He was beloved even by the Jews. This beloved doctor... Use his occupation for God. Are you using yours for God? 
You say, well, I don't know how you can use your occupation from that place to now. Or they're cussing beside me. Well, don't you cuss with them. Well, they're lying right beside me. Well, could you quit lying? They may have learned it from you anyway. Quit it. Quit it. Anywhere you go, God can use you in your occupation. I don't care whether you're a farmer or a factory worker or where you work in the office. I don't care where you dig ditches. I don't care where you're a plumber or electrician. I don't care where you're a CEO of a company. In your occupation, God can use you. And so this doctor, he was no fake doctor because he knew the great physician. Amen. And so he, now he's near, that sympathizing Jesus. He speaks the drooping heart to cheer. Oh, hear the voice of Jesus. You see, Luke got in with this apostle because he knew that he would need him up to the day he died. And he gave himself, gave up his practice of making money, gave up his practice of being important. He gave up his practice of people coming and looking to him and saying, wow, that's where Dr. Luke, look what all he's done. Oh, he gave all that up to follow Paul being beaten and starved and shipwrecked and froze. Everything that could happen happened in the presence of Luke. But he used his occupation. Secondly, thirdly, in dedication, 2 Timothy 4.11 says, only Luke is with me. Everybody else left. Everybody else done shucked out. Now, a few of them he sent out because he needed things done. And evidently, people was leaving because of the persecution. And so he sent what few he had dedicated all the way. But he said, I got to keep Luke here. He's my doctor. He keeps me preaching. He keeps me going. I get down. It's this disease I have uh, slows me down. This disease I have gets me where I can't see and where I can't work. And, and, and Luke helps me. So I got to keep Luke here. And he's the only one with me. Don't you like people who stick it out to the end? You know what bothers me about some folks who's come to Hillcrest? Every time, sometimes, you spill a little water or jostle the jug just a little bit. Every time we go through a little mini storm, instead of putting up their sail and letting the Holy Ghost blow their life, they pull their sails down, pull their oars up, and move on. God help you. I believe that's the most disgusting and I believe God despises it. He said, well, I'm not leaving because of that. I'm leaving because of that preacher. Is it doctrinal? Is it bad doctrine? Come and tell me what it is. Come on, meet me after church and tell me what it is. You don't have a doctrinal issue. You've got personal issues. I didn't mean to preach like this, but I just can't help it. Just, I'm just telling you. We're a bunch of spoiled spoiled brats in the Baptist church. They ought to call it the Baptist brat Baptist church. Because that's what we are. He doesn't even mention to us his name. Luke doesn't. Have you noticed in the whole book of Luke, he doesn't even tell us his name? But he uses Jesus' name constantly. The dedicated doctor was dedicated to Jesus. So he had to obey and Stick with the Apostle Paul. Do you think the Apostle Paul was always easy to live with? I don't. Has there ever been a man easy to live with? No. <laughs> Them women really shouted on that one. I understand, ladies. I understand exactly well. Men are nuts. They're crazy. They may come home throwing stuff, kicking stuff, screaming about stuff. Kick your cat, put out halfway in the driveway, and you start crying. And he comes in and says, shut up, woman. I don't hear that squalling today. They're no good. 
Well, you put the apostle Paul, he was a little sick anyway, probably didn't feel good most of the time. You put him and Luke after they've been traveling for about three or four days, no food to eat, no good water to drink, and here they are sitting around a little old campfire at night, and they're laying there, and Luke says, you know, I believe we ought to pray, Brother Paul. Hey, pray, and you pray if you want to, I'm going to sleep. And so we see that we see two or three things, really. We see the unremembered teaching. We see the unrevealed truth. And now don't you notice the unmistakable appearing. Look, look what happens. First of all, the Bible says he was sighted. His sighting. He was shown. Shown himself. Shown himself. If Jesus didn't want to be seen, he couldn't be seen. He showed himself. Isn't that good? There was a sighting. Not only that, there was a speaking. Look in verse 3. The Bible said, being seen them 40 days and speaking. They not only saw him, they heard him. He spoke. Not only look at the subject that he spoke about, the kingdom of God till he comes and even after he comes. He talks about the kingdom of God. Fourthly, I want you to notice the staying. He said for them, if you want to do the things that I have done, you need to wait upon me. There was the waiting. There was the staying. And then, fifthly, there was, um, it, was a, it was sizable. When somebody tells you to wait, that's not a simple thing. That's a sizable thing. I, I, I don't like wait. I think one of the preachers mentioned that this week. I don't think any man except lazy men like to wait. Do you? How many of you men just love to wait? Let me see your hand. If you raise your hand, we're going to say you're lazy. You know, don't raise it, okay? I'm just trying to protect you. I love you, all right? But waiting's a hard thing to do. In fact, it may be the hardest thing to do that Jesus ever told them to do was to wait. And we know they waited 10 days. Folks, it's something, one thing to wait 30 minutes for somebody to come by and pick you up. But when you wait 10 days, that's what I call a sizable obedience. What do y'all think? And so he was visible and, and, and we see that. Uh, he was audible, and, and so we see the sighting and the speaking and the subject and, and, the, and the staying and the size of him. The waiting had nothing to do with water outside. We talk, every time we think, think about baptism, we think about water, but we think about it on the outside. It had nothing to do with water. He was talking about something happening on the inside. He said, that's why I don't want you out there by yourself. You wait 10 days because if you get out there by yourself, you're going to make a big old mess because you don't have me inside of you. But if you'll wait 10 days, I'm coming down and I'm going to fill the house and in the midst of it, I'm going to fill you and the wind of God's going to blow through and the fire of God's going to fall. And that's what happened. And so he was waiting. He was waiting. Let's look at the last thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll quit. Look at the promise to wait. Luke carries Theopolis back to where he left off in Luke 24, 49, to the promise of power. Remember that was the last thing Jesus said? Remember? 
It's going to have to wait. What was that promise? You find it in John 7, verse 37 through 39. It's very clear. God gave the promise of what we're to wait for. And other places he mentions it as well. He said they, they were enthused. They were excited. They were motivated. But see, that, that would not last. After about five days, you kind of lose that. Things start to slip away. They needed more. And without him, they'd already seen Peter denied him. And without him, they'd all went to sleep on him. And without him, they had lied and denied him. And without him, they messed up everything. Without him, they even doubted that he was alive. So they said, stay here and wait. Stay here and wait. Promise to wait. That's the unremembered appearing of Jesus. If you're taking notes, that's number four. The unremembered appearing of Jesus. Now look at the impossibility of this task. Stubborn unbelief of men and women, boys and girls, of the opposition and danger that faced them of that day, they needed the Holy Spirit. And here's what we need today, folks. I'm scared to go out these doors today without the power of the Holy Ghost in me. You know why? I, I can't wait for you to touch me, but I won't leave till you do. That's what they were saying. I'm scared now. Touch me. I won't be scared anymore. I know who I got to go witness to, God, but they're mean and, and touch me now, and I won't be afraid. God, I know where I got to go, and it's not a nice place, but touch me, and I'll go. I wonder how many of you want to be touched today. Just touched. Touched. Oh, you said, I want to touch Jesus. That's wonderful. If you want to touch Jesus, but I'd rather Jesus touch me. Because when Jesus touches me, he can put me in the hollow of his hand. When I touch Jesus, it just, it, I can't feel him. I, it just goes right through. I can't hold Jesus except in here. So when he, when I reach out, that shows my desire. And when he comes down into me, that shows his power. And so that's the baptism of the new birth. So we see unremembered teaching, unrevealed truth. The unremembered appearing of Christ, the unrelenting love of God. They waited, even though they were afraid, they waited. He said, well, I, I don't know about this Holy Spirit stuff. I'm afraid. I'm, I don't like to talk to it. It makes me nervous. It makes me nervous because I'm afraid I'll do something that's kind of crazy. Well, you know what? Might be a good time for you to do something crazy. You've been doing something non crazy for so long, it might just help you out if you'd help yourself. To the things of God. Because Romans 8 9 said, If any man have not the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, he has none of his. Amen. That's what the book said. I didn't make it up. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a separate gift. When you get saved, you are baptized by his Spirit. You say, What's that mean? We, it means exactly what Jesus showed us when the dove came down slowly. And, and the Bible said the spirit came down as a dove, not the dove, and sat upon Jesus. In other words, in their very eyes, they saw the shape 
of the Lord Jesus Christ coming down out of heaven very slowly where everybody saw him. And as, as, as John was standing in the water baptized, John's looking and down comes, down he comes and he lights on Jesus and all of a sudden he invades Jesus. And the next thing you know, Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit and you don't see anything but Jesus. And John said now, there's one standing among us that I'm not even worthy to unlatch his shoes. But Jesus in the power of the Spirit walked off down there and said, baptize me, John. It's okay. And that's when he said, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. It's not a separate experience. When you get saved, you get baptized. But here is the second experience. When you get saved from time to time, you need to get filled. To get filled means that you give up your selfishness and your self-righteousness and your way of doing things. And you come right back to the middle and you bow down at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I'm not going to do it my way anymore. I'll stay right here. I'm scared to try to live another day. I'm scared to try to live another week. I'm scared to try to live another month without you filling me with the Holy Spirit. I may not be here tomorrow. I may not be here the next day. So I want you to fill me today. And I'm waiting. I'm waiting. You know what God will do? If he knows the desire of your heart is what the mouth just said, he'll come into your life and fill you, and you'll have the experience that people says they feel when they get saved. You know what that experience that they feel when they get saved is? It's Holy Spirit peace. For the first time, you wound up, twisted up, scared, fearful person will have complete perfect peace but when that peace you notice one day is not there you know what's happened you've stepped away and you need to be filled well there's a lot I could say about it but today I'm just going to leave it like that it's up to you this whole book is about getting filled And when we're filled, telling somebody about Christ and them receiving Christ and them being filled. 